Welcome again to another episode of Deluxe Edition, the podcast where we dig into classic pop culture. I'm Bill Seabald, here as always with Mr. Casey Shearer, blowing the smoke, blowing the the pot smoke. You know why that's good? Why? Because we have a guest today who's a great pothead, a legendary pothead, just like you, Casey. (laughs) I was actually afraid we were discussing this before. I was actually, uh, Jackie's been, Jackie Martlin is our guest today. Jackie, the joke man, Martlin. Uh, he's been sober for, I think May 5th was his 20th anniversary of being sober. His version of sober, I just found out, which is just from booze. Bill, he's still a big pothead from what we've heard. He's still a big pothead. Yeah. All right. Well, he was when he was on the Howard Stern show. They would always like bust his balls for smoking weed. And I was like this little kid who never, touched anything bad like the stern show for me was like the bad boy world like i was in the bad boy world because i would listen to the stern show and he would talk jackie would talk about the weed smoking and all that i was like he's so he's such a bad boy he's like fuck man i love weed i smoke weed it's a great he was he was ahead of the the curve i didn't even know they call it marijuana and before this song is done we'll explain to all you people how this outlaw causes fun see pot don't make you older and pot don't make you fat it just makes you feel real friendly, and you know that's where it's at. I didn't even know that weed was such a great drug. Was this before or after you saw Cheech and Chong? You know what's funny? It was after. I went through a weird period where I saw Cheech and Chong was just confused by what they were doing. And then there was a, like, you know, Nancy Reagan says, say no to drugs. And that must have stuck with me for, for a while, because I was like, all drugs are bad. And when it comes to drugs and alcohol, just say no. We, we joke a lot about pot on the show, but I actually like truly think marijuana is a great thing for, uh, you know, some people. I, I think it's way better than giving somebody opiates. But recreational smoking isn't so bad. But I was always thinking, like, it was terrible. You can't do any of this. You're a deviant if you did any of this. And then I would listen to Jackie Martin. I'm like, oh, he doesn't really sound like a deviant. You know, he's, he's, he seems to be pretty, he seems to be working okay. That's actually an episode that we're going to get into in the future here. You and I talked about it. That's how, that's how the media portrayed marijuana in the beginning. They wanted you to think it was evil. Reefer Madness. They put that out there and they told you, you smoke pot, you're going to rape women and, ste- you know, become a murderer and, th- you know, a thief, all that. So, uh, you know, we're going to get into an episode of that about uh, marijuana in pop culture in the media, how it has changed over the last no, uh, it's gonna be a cool one. 75 years or so. Yeah. Well, Jackie was really my first intro into marijuana culture. He actually, he was my, I, I he, so he used to have a, a website called jokeland.com, right? It was like the very first thing I ever saw on the internet because he would talk about it. So I went and got my like free AOL discs to have like 10 free hours to, to sign on to the internet. And the first place I went on the internet was jokeland.com. I got, you know what? I don't even know. Does he still have that? He still has it. Oh, I got to go see it. 
JoeClan.com. It has to be one of the longest running websites out there. Oh, it, I remember it had the letters. It was dancing. The, the letters were dancing around. And I remember it's from the early 90s. It's, it's from the start of the internet. Oh, my God. Is it really right? still there? Yeah. JoeGland.com. Oh, it's a lot different than I remember it. But I remember like it had the dancing, you know, gifts and, and all those like really old 19, early 90s internet sort of things. One of the things about Jackie that I to this day still do, Jackie's got a really distinctive voice. And he's got a really distinctive laugh, right? Have you heard? You were an old Stern fan, right? I got a whole list of them. I'm just going to play it right here. And then this is where I go. Oh, yeah, man. Those, I will walk around the house all day going, like I still, he hasn't been on the show since 2000. And I still walk around and do Jackie sound effects. Yeah, I told uh, my buddy, uh, my buddy Zach Turnpike James. Shout out to him. He's a huge uh, Jackie fan. And as soon as I told him, he did the he did the exact same. <laughs> my favorite thing would be when uh, they would they would have these laughs queued up on the show. So when when Robin Quivers, who did the news at the end, would tell a terrible story, they'd be like, "Yeah, so a flood just took out a family of fifty over at a." Uh, you know, uh, chili. And then you hear somebody hits the button. <laughs> like he would just laugh inappropriately. And, and like, yeah, we just found out, you know, uh, th- this person has cancer. <laughs> like it was just the most inappropriate shit. And I forever thought it was really him laughing at it. Dr. Jack Kevorkian <laughs> yeah. has assisted his 25th patient with a suicide. <laughs> this time... The woman's body was found in the parking lot of a hospital. Jackie's got dark humor. And I didn't know until later that it would be like Stern or somebody else on the show hitting the laugh button. (laughs) The Stern show to me was like, huh? Fred. Fred was the sound guy. I don't know. That's one of my questions. I'd love to ask him, like, who was really in charge of what? Because it really seemed like a band. I mean, they all had different sort of roles. In fact, so the Stern show to me, when they came into Philly, which is where I'm originally from, they came in and, and I remember I was in junior high. I was on the bus and I had a pair of headphones and I tuned in the radio and there was the Howard Stern show. I found it 14 years old, never stopped listening to it, still listen to it today. But the show has transformed a bunch. So it's kind of, if you're familiar with the mothers of invention by, uh, with Frank Zappa, Frank Zappa was the constant, right? He was the Howard Stern, but the bands changed and Jackie was in one of the bands. Essentially the, the version of Howard that's still playing today is, is pretty different than what was happening in, you know, the, in the nineties with Jackie and everything. And that period was the most impressive, just the, the most iconic period of the Stern show because they were, they were really risking getting in a lot of trouble. Like it is the original reality show. It is the original podcast and everything they were doing, they were really risking their jobs and their futures. Like they were trying to push the limits and they had the, the FCC is like fighting a millions of dollars. I mean, they weren't backed up by giant radio company money. It was, these guys were kind of doing this on their own and that's ballsy. Like everything they were doing back then, I was fascinated by because nobody had done anything like that before. Yeah, you mentioned uh, about they were essentially a podcast. I think me and you talked about this before off the air. I listened to Uncle Joey's joint, Joey Diaz. 
He said that. He said, anyone want to start a podcast, go back and listen to the original Howard Stern show from back in the day with Jackie, Fred, Robin. I mean, he, it was it was basically a podcast. They They were doing shit that no one had ever done before. Yeah. And now we're doing it. Thank, Thank you, you, Howard, Howard and Jackie. All right. You got anything mm. else? No, man. I'm just excited. I, I can't believe we're going to be talking to Jackie in a few seconds. Yeah, man. We've been getting some great guests. If you like our show, like, subscribe, tell your friends, do anything. All right. Any more plugs, Bill? No. Everyone just check out deluxeedition.show. We have a YouTube channel where you can see our videos. If you're listening to this on podcast, check out our videos. We actually add some extra stuff to the videos. Uh, and like Casey said, tell your friends it's really hard to get a, a podcast, you know, sort of out there to the people who would like it is just so much damn noise on the internet, Casey. So, you know, tell your friends about us if you think we're doing stuff that they would enjoy. Yeah. I think Jackie's here in the studio with us. So in the in our new Riverside dot FM studio here. That's right. Fuck off, Zoom. You've been outpaced. Let's get into it with Jackie. There we go. So now we're we're recording. We I always it. say, you know, it's no pre no no green room stuff because the you know the best crap is the first two minutes we did, you know? So That's what Casey says all the time. Roll. Casey says it all the time and he forgot to hit record. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right. Well, what what I'd love to do is I'd love to kick off by going through your history a bit. I got this from Wikipedia, so it might be full of shit. Would love to have some clarification on this if anything is wrong. So you're born in 1948. Yeah. Born, born and raised in Long Island. Yeah. Are you still there? I'm right here in Bayville on the North Shore, the glorious North Shore of Nassau County, the Gold Coast of the entire world. Everybody around me is so rich and I am so broke. And I don't care. I live right on Long Island Sound. I already swam twice today. So I died and went to heaven. It's that simple. Yeah. Well, I know you always like being near the water. I remember. I remember when your your jetty got washed away. Oh, yeah. You know, I was headlining in Philadelphia for like three or four years before I even heard of Howard Stern. You know, in 1979, I worked at Comedy Works and Bananas and the Comedy Factory Outlet. And the comedy cabarets. And, um, you know, I, I actually knew John DeBella from the 70s when he worked at WLIR on Long Island. And uh, I had a great, great time there. So I've always really had a really warm, warm spot for Philadelphia. And then when we wound up going on in Philly and going against DeBella, who is, you know, I've known him forever. I mean, he's not the worst guy, but he's has always been just such a pompous dick, but that's just his DNA. I don't think I don't think he puts it on. I think he's just a pompous dick. You know, one of those guys that talks through his cigarette between his teeth, you know. But he was all right. So so hi. Don't don't get me going. I'll never shut up. So next question. <laughs> no, I I love that because John DeBella, I mean, he was like the biggest DJ in town. And then it was great to watch Howard Stern and your show come in and disrupt him and Remember the the funeral? Oh my God! Uh, it took time. It took time. We we chipped away and chipped away and chipped away. And uh, and the night at the that great hotel, whatever, right there on Rittenhouse Square. That that hotel, the night of that great great funeral and hanging or whatever we did to him, that was the, the night of the infamous Jessica Hahn incident. I don't know if you remember that. 
where we, I, you know, when me and Howard were in the bathtub with Jessica Hahn. When you were in the bathtub with Jessica Hahn, I no, do no, me and Howard were both in the bathtub with yeah. Jessica. Hell yeah! How you did know. you get away with that? How did I you did, not? I didn't. My, you know, and the thing is, absolutely nothing, nothing happened. Howard said, "Come on, we got to get in," and she was in the bathtub naked. He had on his underwear, and he said, "Come on, somebody's got to come get in the tub. I'm going to go get in the tub with Jessica. Somebody else has got to come." We're all so drunk. Me, Stuttering John, Gary Delabati, Billy West. <clears throat> I'm going to take one for the team. And I figure, you know what I'll do? I'll keep on my underwear and my blue jeans. So when I got in that bathtub, I had on my underwear and my blue jeans. Figured no harm, no foul. Jumped in. We're out in 30 seconds. The next morning on the radio, Howard made it sound like we had a full-scale orgy. And I thought my wife was going to kill me. And that's when I did the apology. and everything. It was a whole incredible incredible chapter of howard stern uh law slash fable slash slash i was just it was in retrospect it was spectacular to tell you the truth <laughs> yeah. well, it, it was i still listen to howard it was the best time do you still listen to the show i never did i never never did never have never listened when we were on break the only time i ever listened was in the very beginning when I never heard of them before and went in and sat in with them on WNBC. And I came up with a few things for him, you know, listening to the show, listening to what characters he did. You know, it was very funny because it was very sporadic and I happened to be listening. I tell people the same story all the time. <clears throat> the reason I really remember it was I was, we were in a house that I, me and my uh, girlfriend at the time rented. and. I was on a step stool fixing something in the kitchen. And the reason I remember so vividly is because I never fix anything. I don't know how to fix anything. Maybe I was changing a light bulb, but I was on a step stool. And the girl came in and said she wanted to take her clothes off. And Howard said, who are you? And she said, my name is Maria. I want to be a comedian. I work the door at the Comedy Factory outlet in Philadelphia. And my favorite comedian is Jackie Martling. And I almost fell off the step stool. I couldn't make that up. And I'm telling you, that piece of tape does not exist. And I know I'm not crazy because I wouldn't have just invented that. They must have chopped that out of there so fast. Or, you know, if anybody was actually listening that day and taped that day. And for all I know, Nancy was taping. I don't know. Maybe I have a tape of it somewhere. But it was, you know, and that was that was so classic and what wound up really being really funny is i wound up being in that scene in the film and of course i wasn't there in the studio but uh but that's just that's just and what's crazy if you guys are from philly maria i always say maria Melito, and that maria Melito is a girl from q104 here in new york city maria some italian last name wound up marrying Stu Bykovsky. Do you know that name? He was yeah. a writer for the Philadelphia Daily News that was always at war with us and always said really horrible, horrible things about the Stern show. Probably so Howard would talk about him. And then he married the girl that got nude on the show. I, I mean, you can't, if you wrote that as a Hollywood script, the, the guy said, get out of my office, you moron. You know, I love it. I love it. There's the laugh. It's amazing. I was staying to Casey. I, I still walk around the house and do 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 impressions of your laugh. It's great. It's my ringtone. So 
Thank you for gracing us with that. So Wikipedia says that you did some work before you went to work with Howard. You were working for Rick Dees? Uh, it, it happened kind of simultaneously. Well, <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Well, I have a thing. I don't know how much you guys know. I've had for four, over 40 years, I've had a dial a joke. Uh, 516-922-WINE. And it's a long story, but a million years ago, there was groups of people that you couldn't call long distance. It cost money and people had credit card numbers. So there was a group of people that passed around credit card numbers. So people could call all over the place and they had a list of all the weather and, and uh, seance and, and all the crazy numbers you can call. And of course, a number like mine, they got a hold of right away. And somebody told Rick Dees about it. I had come up with the idea of, having the joke line with the jokes to promote a comedy show that we were doing on Long Island. There were no comedy clubs. And me and another guy started a, a comedy show in a restaurant bar where I actually recorded my first album. Like, how are we going to record it? I mean, how are we going to promote it? I said, why don't I just get a phone line? And it went from one to two to four to six to 10 lines. And it just it, a phenomenal piece of my history. But somebody called up Rick Dees and told him about the joke line. And I guess he was using it on his show and he was putting it on his weekly top 40, which back in those days, he actually put a, did a thing called the weekly top 40 and they actually put it on, on wax on LPs and like sent it to all the affiliates like Philadelphia and Chicago and New Jersey. And on like Saturdays or Sundays, the station would play the Rick D's weekly top 40. And one day my sister said, she was out in Minneapolis visiting her husband's sister. And she said, we heard 9221 on the radio. I said, are you sure? And she said, yeah, we're sitting there. And my niece, who now has twins, my niece is a little girl. And she heard my voice and she looked at my sister and said, it's Uncle Ha Ha, <laughs> which is so funny. But they weren't the jokes that have been on, on the joke line recently. And then another friend heard it on Z100 in South Jersey. And he told me the joke. I said, that hasn't been on. What had happened was Rick, Rick Dees was playing the jokes on his show, but also recording a few jokes and putting on putting them on the weekly top 40 recordings. I had no idea. Now, you guys aren't old enough, but in 1979 and 80, the world changed. The world went from no such thing as cable TV to all of a sudden there's HBO and you're sitting in your mother's living room and there's a naked girl on the screen. I mean, it was like a quantum leap and the whole world changed and the whole world loosened up. And my joke line had been very clean. They had told me to clean it up initially. So I started putting my foot in the water, making it dirtier and dirtier. I never heard from them again. And one day Rick Dees called me up and said, Jackie, I've been, I've been using your joke line and, and giving you credit and, and playing your jokes. But now the jokes are all so dirty. Would you do some jokes just for my show? I'll pay you. I said, okay. And I, at this time, I had already gone in and sat in with Howard, and I was already on with Howard like one day a week. But the two had nothing to do with each other. And he said, how about this? Uh, you're a dentist from Encino, and you're really wacky. I'm like, that helps me in no way. He goes, let me think about it. He calls me back next to day. How about this? You're Jackie, the joke man, Martling, the guy from New York that knows all the jokes. I said, sold. And I went from my first times on the Howard Stern show, I was Jackie 922 Wine Martling, 
Then Howard got complaints and couldn't say 9229 anymore because they were dirty jokes and the listeners were complaining. And then all of a sudden, one day I was Jackie, the joke man, Martin. So I was on the Howard Stern show, but I was nicknamed the joke man by Rick Dees, which is crazy because they couldn't be more diametrically opposed, white, black, dark, you know, Rick Dees is light, sunshine, California, and Stern was dark, New York crazy. And here I am both the, on both of these wacky shows. You know, it was, it was pretty interesting. Yeah, so, I had no idea you were you were across shows there. And, yeah, and, and the at things- some point they said, Jackie, uh, you know, now that you're a regular part of the show, you got to dump the Rick Dees thing. I said, you know, oh. that's fine. It wasn't a lot of money. But the joke line was so crazy because Rick Dees used to tell his listeners that 922 wine, he would say, 516-922-9463 is Tom Selleck's home phone number. <laughs> and the thing went nuts. It just went nuts, you know. And people call and they hear the dirty joke. And so many people say, oh, Charlie called. You got to give him a call and, and give him that number, you know. And for years, Howard did that. You know, if somebody called and said, Howard, I want to be your friend. You know what? Here's, here's my home office number. <laughs> he'd, give, he'd give him 922 9463. You know, I, it's, it's just. It shena- harmless shenanigans, you know. Right, right. Well, I know they used to, you know, kind of bust your balls a little for the plugs at the end of the show, but I love those plugs. I went to, jo- I was saying to Casey before we started, the first webpage I ever saw was jokeland.com. Like you were ahead of almost everything. You know, first of all, the best negotiation I ever did at some point, they said, uh, we're not giving you any more money. And part of my deal was that they gave me a plug at the end of the show. And I said, okay, if you don't want to give me any more money, I want a plug in addition in the middle of the show. At 10 o'clock, 10.30, 11 o'clock, there's four people listening. At 7.30 or 8 o'clock, there's 10 million people listening. So all of a sudden now I was getting, so if I was working a club, I'd put up my plug like at 7.30 and the next day at 8 and the next day at 8.30. The amount of exposure I got, it was the best negotiation I ever, ever did. And Howard was very good about it. And he read everything. Jackie, Penthouse, Joe Page, Martling, and 1-800-323-KING, get his cassettes. And he's working at Rascals. He was real good. So one day, this guy walked into my office. Me and Nancy were there. She was my wife by then and said, uh, do you guys want to be on the World Wide Web? And I said, sure. What is that? So he explains. So they're going to give us a page on the World Wide Web. And at this point, you know, it's AOL and it's 14.4 dial up. And at around about the same time, they didn't they did a test of cable Internet. And one of the test towns was Bayville. So I had cable Internet almost from the onset. So I on my Web page. It would take hours for people to load up the pictures if they had a dial-up because I didn't know how to take a, a, an image that was a 10 and lower it to 3 and have it look the same. You know, that was all. But Howard was so good about reading my plugs. And when I first, when we first got the web page, he'd say, and to see Jackie on the World Wide Web, and he would actually say, H-T-T-P colon slash slash www.starburst.com slash Joe. And, and he, they make fun of me and what an idiot. And Jackie goes for every new stupid thing that comes along, you know, and he also watches this asinine show 
the Sopranos, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, look at the show we discovered, you know. But it went on and on. I still have those plugs. That was so funny. God, my God. And, you know, the jokes that I used to put on that stupid site, you know, nothing goes away. It's still on the web somewhere, you know, 29 Jackie jokes or something, you know. It's a long time ago. My God. I, you know, I said you were cutting edge. You were self-producing your own albums. I never heard of anybody doing that before. So I thought that was super cool. That's because nobody had done it. Robert Klein and George Carlin, you know, they had albums because they were huge stars and they were great. And they got signed to a record deal. Like anybody, like back in those days, very rare for a band, a rock and roll band. If you had a good rock and roll band, you very rarely made your own record, you know. But I worked at a recording studio in the 70s. And I don't know if how well you know the song, but that's where we recorded the pot song, Roll Up sure. the Reefer. Uh-huh. And those guys loved me. So I started working there and I found out that any schmuck can have an album. All you need is a piece of tape and a few bucks and a picture and you mail it. <clears throat> so I borrowed 15. Uh, I borrowed 100 bucks from 15 different people. And I took I recorded on cassette at the restaurant bar where we were producing the shows on Long Island. That was, there was no comedy clubs. And I took the cassette and transferred it to reel to reel quarter inch tape, sliced it up with a razor blade with splicing tape and the whole thing and got two 18 minute sides and the cover of my eighth grade class picture. The cover was my eighth grade class picture where I'm given the finger and just mailed the whole thing to Nashville. And they sent back a thousand albums and all of a sudden I was somebody. You know, nobody had ever done anything like that. It was unheard of. And the guys, the other comics broke my balls. Oh, look at Martling. There he goes. Now he's got albums. Look at that, Ed. Look at that idiot. Meanwhile, I'm standing at the door. Everybody's making 40 bucks. And all of a sudden somebody goes, you know what? He made an extra 75 bucks tonight selling those stupid albums. You know, maybe he's not such an idiot. And now you can't go to a show with him not selling that crap at the end, you know. So it was, uh, it, but it was, it, it just fell together because from working in a recording studio, I knew that it, it seemed like a mountain to climb. But in reality, it was baking a cake. Get a tape, get a picture, get some money, and boom, and, you know, it's that simple. You know, anybody can bake a cake. You can't necessarily bake a good one. You know, my albums were horrible. But then I made another one, and then I made another one. By the time I heard about this guy coming to WNBC, I sent three comedy albums with cassettes that matched them. You know, he's new in New York City, and here's a comic with three albums. Like, whoa, this guy must be somebody. You know who that guy was? He was a guy who had his own three albums that sold about four. (laughs) (laughs) But who knew? Who knew? I'm not telling anybody. (laughs) I had a bunch of them. Every one that I had was a live album. Did you you do any that weren't live? No, everything was live. Everything was live. You mean in, in, in a studio or anything? No. Yeah, I mean, we we talked to Tommy Chong. I know they did some skits, and you know, sometimes they were doing skits back in the day and, and for comedy albums. But you were all stand up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's all, I, you know. And then and just old jokes, joke after joke after joke after joke, and uh, and I just still love it. I just still love it. You know, I still oh, do I, the same thing. You know, I have such a bad memory, but I I used to memorize your jokes. I got beat up because of one of your jokes. I'm glad oh, to hear that. I almost got beat up. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll tell it. So. Two guys walking down the road. The guy on the left dragging his left leg. The guy on the right dragging his right leg. Guy on the left says, what happened to you? Guy says, 
uh, dog shit. Ah, I fucked up the joke, Jack. Of course Jack, you did. Fucked it up. And you told that joke to a veteran, didn't you? And I told it to a veteran <laughs> accidentally. And he got out of his seat. I, I should have assumed it. I mean, I, I should have just been safe. He got out of his seat and he's like, you're making fun of me? You're making fun of the veterans? And I was like, Jackie was. I said, go find Jackie. <laughs> he was he was so mad. That was a scary moment. He was strong. And it was a dog crap joke. It wasn't anti, you know, you know, stuff like that. You know, what can you do? You know, the uh, when we had a band and we had a band for the whole 70s. And, you know, we told jokes and played songs and played songs and told jokes. And it was so classic because people would say, are you playing songs to make up for the bad jokes? Or are you telling bad jokes to make up for the bad songs, which is so funny? And the guy I worked with had the same three or four or five lines that he used ever since we started playing together in ninth grade. I thought I, I thought I heard somebody clapping, but it was just the guy in the corner slapping his head to keep awake. You know, comments like that. We had a request, but the microphones won't fit. You know, stuff like that. So we're playing a tiny bar, and it's early, but we got to start. And it's nobody there, and there's one guy at the bar. And we played a song, and we got done, and my partner went, let's hear it for the one-legged tap dancer. And the guy at the bar turns, and he's missing an arm. And he says, you want to take it a little easier on the one limb jokes? <laughs> Holy jeez, what are the odds? I thought I was going to crap myself. I laughed so hard. My buddy just completely went red, you know. Of course he didn't see him, you know. But stuff, you know, you know, stuff like that, it, it, it makes the world go round, I think, you know. Now, see, it, 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 I hope you turned it around, made friends with the guy. And, and he said, oh, yeah, I listened to the Stern Show, too. That guy's a jerk, blah, 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 you know. Never saw the guy again. Ran like hell. And he had one leg, so he couldn't catch it. <laughs> he, was, he was slow. <laughs> but he was still scary. I've never gone to war. I've never been in the military. I'm scared of anyone tougher than me. I'm going to flee. I got to ask you, by the way, the uh, the Rodney Dangerfield bobblehead <clears throat> behind you. I remember the episode when Rodney came in, and there was a little bit of a, a fun you know, conflict. Well, that, that, was, that was all uh, horse crap. But uh, I will take this opportunity to plug my book. The joke man bowed a stern because, of course, there's a nice long Rodney Dangerfield chapter that explains all that malarkey. You know, nobody could understand. I, I, they also they did a documentary on me that got finished just as the pandemic hit. So we haven't taken it out yet, but we're going to take it around to film festivals and put it everywhere and stuff like that. And, you know. Like they, the whole gist of that thing with Rodney is nobody could grasp the concept that he paid for jokes, that he paid $50 per joke. And meanwhile, there's not a comedian in the country that didn't know that everybody buys jokes and that Rodney bought jokes for $50 a joke. And, you know, and of course, the whole key to the whole interview was, I don't know anything about money for jokes, you know. Well, the thing was, I owed him money. You know, I don't know anything about paying anybody with jokes, which is, Ridiculous. It was a very simple barter, and I owed him money. It was $50 a joke, and it didn't take rocket science. But also, making sense of that, of anything, doesn't really make for good radio. And plus, <clears throat> I loved the guy. You know, I loved the guy. And he was so screwed. When we were together, he was coked up and drunk and stoned, and we had so much fun, because so was I. <laughs> and I wasn't going to sit there that day and say, Rodney... In 1980, you were so full of cocaine and pot and booze, you had no idea what's going on. So anything 
that happened back then, you had to have read about, you know, so I wasn't going to throw him under the bus and say you were screwed up. I just sat there, you know, and took it. But it was funny. It was funny as hell. And what had happened was he had used some of my jokes, you know, without telling me he was going to use them. But it wasn't because it's subversive. It's just because he was all screwed up. He, you know, he didn't have a, you know, a log and a blah, blah, blah. You know, he, he just did whatever. So, but it was funny. But, he, you know, and he was just, he's just such a delight. Oh, but they grabbed me. Oh, like a, it was like a piece of meat when they got a hold of me. It was great. You know, <laughs> it was really funny, you know. But of course, it, it's, it, it put a bad, you know, to this day, you know, the time I spent with him, I only spent two weeks on the road with him and it was the greatest two weeks in the world. And it kind of put a sour thing on it because people look at me and say, oh, you know, it's so I still get emails from people saying, pay Rodney the money you owe, which of course I didn't know. You know, I asked him to borrow an extra two grand and he said no. And people, you know, Howard had me owing him the two grand that I asked for that I never got, which is, which is, that's his genius, you know. Yeah. So it's funny. It's funny. But get the book. The joke man bowed a stern. But don't, yeah. don't order bowed a stern because if you order bowed a stern, you get a seventh grade sailing manual. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. They'll play that clip once in a while on the best of. And, and, and when I listen to it, I can sort of, I, I read into it a bit, I think. And, and I always had a, a sense that on the show, you're, you're almost like the first reality show. There's truth there. And then you, you all sort of know as performers how to take the truth and play with it live. So when I hear that, when I heard that argument, you know, I'm like, there's another side of the story. Jackie's got another side. But you know what it is? Did you ever have Silly Putty? Yeah. And you put silly putty on a cartoon and then you turn it over and there's the cartoon. And then you Stretch. do that. And that's Stretch what they do. Forward. And that's what they do to the truth. Sure. <laughs> Which Did it is ever fine. Get, yeah. Did it ever get too far? Was it ever like, hold on, Howard, I don't want my image to be this. You're, you're taking yeah, what, this yeah. thing too far. You know, occasionally you'd have to break because like with the local bully, if the local bullies beating the crap out of you if at some point you don't say ouch he's going to keep hurting you until you say ouch you know and more so when he would be picking on my wife because at some point i would have to make a joke and turn things around and change the subject you know but uh going too far was what the show was all about you know and so i was i was so used to it and they all attacked me you know like like howard and robin and fred and gary all at once but i could handle it you know, like it was like Bruce Lee in the middle of 20 guys with spears. You know, I could deal with it like or me and Fred would go at it. Me and Fred would go at it. Nobody would go at it with Fred because he was too fast and too crazy and too good. But me and Fred were kind of matched so we could go at it, you know. But uh, it, it it was just it was just such sport. And, you know, but I, I always had it coming because I picked on Fred and I picked on Robin and I picked on Gary and I picked on Howard. So much. I, I I even said in the documentary, of course they don't want me back on that show. Are you kidding? You know, for that, it's been a holiday for everybody since the day I walked out that door because I was a guy that's screwed with everybody. You know, Gary'd walk in and I'd, I'd just snort a little giggle and we'd be off to the races for 45 minutes. You know, it was, <laughs> and it was just so unfair. So that when they came at me unfairly, <clears throat> what am I going to say? You know, 
Don't do to me what I do to everybody else. You know, who, who cares? It was, you know, it was sport. You know, they had just said the other day on the show, Gary was talking about, he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really Jackie who made fun of my teeth the most. I noticed that they don't make fun of my teeth as much now that Jackie's not here. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I remember Jackie was really awesome about beating up <laughs> Gary about his teeth. It was brilliant. But everybody was behind me waving the flag. You know, that's what, that's yeah. what's so silly. You know, I wasn't mouthing anything that, you know, there was so many funny, there was a big deal when he was out for a couple of days because he went to get his teeth redone way early, like in the early, like 1986, not long after <clears throat> I had joined the show regularly and people had broke his chops and he went and got his teeth completely redone. And he came back in and it was a big unveiling and they looked exactly the same and me and fred and we all looked at each other and it was like i don't <clears throat> you know i don't know if i've ever asked howard or fred if they remember that moment because it was like it must have been so hurtful because oh god it was just classic oh god i wonder if that exists anywhere or even in anybody's mind you know like i i don't see fred i don't see any of those guys at all ever like if I sat around with Fred and said, do you remember this moment? You remember this moment, you know, because he remembers everything, you know, we had uh, great, great stuff went on. Great stuff went on. You know, have you ever, was there ever a time where you felt up, oh, we're going too far? Yeah. yeah every, 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 every morning. Back. Really? So were you ever afraid? Like we're going too far. We are <clears> going <throat> to get sued. This is not a good career choice because of this. No, I, and for a very good reason. In the late 80s, listen, I don't know if you guys, I don't know what you do, if you're rich or poor or whether you're media guys, what you are. I have so much stuff that I really want to either put on display or sell or whatever. I got the, the greatest, greatest. I mean, I have the scripts to the, to, the, to the bits we used to do in 86, 87, 88. I have the scripts, the original scripts, and they're all in Howard's handwriting. And... I want to do something with them, either put them up or sell them to somebody that wants them, you know, because <clears throat> they're just sitting here and they're so great. But uh, how old? Oh, yeah, maybe you're old enough to remember. There was a guy from Queens, a bagel maker. And Cher struck up a relationship with a bagel maker from Queens. Well, there's nothing more ripe than, uh, than an old time rock and roll star. Meanwhile, she's still around. She's still red hot. She's great. But she's got she's dating a bagel maker. <clears throat> and this is back in the very in the first three, four, even five years. We would write bits and write song parodies and do all kinds of stuff. We eventually stopped doing that because we'd work so hard. And then Howard wouldn't he couldn't he couldn't stand to not hear the sound of his own voice. So the two minutes of playing a bit would be like torture for him you know bad enough he couldn't he had to shut up during the commercials so we're still doing bits so we're going to write a song so we're going to do a parody a song parody for share and the bagel maker so of course this is going to be a parody to i got you babe and it's i got share babe and fred's going to sing it in the queen's accent as rob camaletti the bagel maker so we're writing the song and the way we would do it is we'd sit there, me and, How, me and Fred would sit there, and Howard sat across. We sat across from Howard, and we'd say, how about uh, I got you, babe? Ah, that's perfect. Then you write it down. 
and then we pitched a, a line. He said, I, I like that. And he, he only wrote down what he liked, which made sense. I'd say something, Fred say something. It's like, we were, me and Fred were like Lennon McCartney, like who wrote what? Nobody knows. So who wrote what line? You know, I, the Beatles go back and try and remember who wrote what line of tell me what, of tell me why and what line of end I love it, you know. <clears throat> but it was so much fun. So we're writing this song. And at some point, this is very early on, at some point, I said, ah, and never mind. And Howard said, what? I said, no, 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 no. He goes, what? I said, no, it's too stupid. He said, listen, nothing is too stupid. <clears throat> and I told him the line, and it wound up being the best line in the stupid song parody because it was so horribly childish and stupid. And I don't know if you know the song, you know, I got here, baby. And the middle, in the middle section, the B section of the song is, I got flowers in the spring. I got you to wear my ring. And when I'm sad, you're a clown. You know, and that's the B section of the song. In the second part of the B section, I wrote, you know, blah, 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 blah. It says, I see London. I see France. I saw Cher in her underpants which is just so horrible. And it was so funny. People told me they drove off the road. And Howard said, that's brilliant. He said, don't ever, ever edit. You write whatever you want to write. Dirty, filthy, stupid, you write whatever you want to write. I'll edit. And that was, that was the secret to the show. I would write anything. And he would say anything. And it was the classic, don't look at me, he said it. Don't look at me, he wrote it. And there were so few things there was one really horrible thing that I wrote that he didn't say. And he looked at me like I was from Pluto. Uh, it was a horrible story. Robin was reading a horrible story about these guys in Texas that took a black man and tied a rope around him and tied the rope to the truck and dragged him to his death, which is a horrible, horrible story. And I wrote a note and Howard looked at the note and it's jaw dropped. And he said, we'll be right back. And we went to commercial and he looked at me and said, where are you from Pluto? And, <laughs> and, and all the note, what all the note said was Polish water skiing, <laughs> which is just so horrible, but it wasn't racist. It was just stupid. Now, if anything, it was an insult to the Polish people, not to the black people, but it was just, you know, and that's, you know, you know, at what point, you know, what, no matter what the line is, there was, that wasn't a time we should be laughing. And that was long before the days of the Jackie laugh after a Cub Scout troop went off a truck, off a hill in a, in a bus. You know, this is long before those days. So this is like, whoa, you know. How does writing go? Because I, I have tried to study <clears throat> the shows, right? I know that notes are being passed. I know this is the day before or the, the, the time before we have technology to be able to do that kind of note passing. I just got to think that you, Fred, there were no other writers back then. There was <clears throat> Benji hadn't joined yet. So it was really just you two. I, I created the job. Um, when I used to go in one day a week, um, it was so organic and so gradual. He had a, a traffic reporter called a black traffic reporter, a helicopter reporter, called Mama Look a Boo Boo Day, which he talked into a megaphone or whatever you call those things. Sure. And I would take 
old stupid black jokes or comments and and I, I give him a couple pages. He looked at me like, you know, I don't I don't need help. And then I'd be listening to the show during the week and I I'd hear something I gave him and then the next week I'm like, here's some more, you know, oh thank you. You know, it was like it's hard to describe. And then at some point I, I give an idea. And one of the very, very first things, I don't even know if this is in the book, but a guy named Al Rosenberg, who Howard stole from Imus, then Imus stole him back. He does big Jewish guy. So funny, such a delightful guy. And he used to come on as Lou Ferrigno, who was deaf. In real life, Lou, Lou Ringo is deaf. No, he thought money. And I'm sitting next to, to uh, Al, sitting next to Lou. <clears throat> and this is so long ago that I was only on one day a week. And it was so long ago that one of the sponsors of the Stern Show was Coca-Cola, which is hard to envision. Yeah. And the show was from 4 to 8 in the afternoon. But when there was a Knicks game, the show would end at 7 o'clock. For the Knicks game. So at seven o'clock, when the Howard Stern show is ending, every guy in the tri-state area is tuned. Even if they aren't Stern fans, they're tuned to WNBC AM because the Knicks game is going to start. So Howard had a liner that he had to read. You know, he, you know, they always think sometimes it's not a full-blown commercial, but, you know, don't forget to watch uh, Sarah Palin on uh, Who's an Idiot. You know what I mean? So... Lou is sitting there, the deaf guy's sitting there, and Howard, just as we're going to throw the show to, to the Knicks announcer, Howard goes, and Coca-Cola wants to remind everybody to make sure you have lots of Coca-Cola and snacks on hand for the game. And I heard the word snacks. And I wrote snacks, snatch, underlined them both with a question mark and put it in front of Lou. In front of Al. And he goes, When you say Howard? And Howard said, Everybody should have lots of Coca Cola and snacks on hand for the game. You can't. And Howard immediately caught on. He said, I said, Snacks. You can't say that, Howard. You can't say snatch. I didn't say. <laughs> Guys told me they drove off the road. It was so. He was saying snatch on not only on WNBC AM. But the entire Tri-State area was listening. It was a, a just a classic. Now, that piece of tape has to exist somewhere. And that was the first time I actually remember I put a note in front of somebody, and that was a, you know. I mean, I'm sure I had done it along the way, along the way. And then when we went to mornings, he called me up and said, listen, I want you to come on twice a week and do your thing with the notes. That was our entire job description. For 18 years, he said that once, do your thing with the notes. And when I went in to K-Rock, it was literally a little place for me to write. And I literally put notes. He had a loose leaf in front of him. Like, like this and like this with a hole in the middle so he could see Robin. And there was... And on the side of the loose leaf, I would literally write on an eight by 10 piece of paper and flip it over and put it right here so he could read it. And he's so brilliant that he would just, whatever I wrote, he would work in seamlessly 
for so long, nobody had any idea I was doing that. There's still people that have no idea I was doing that. And the stories are, the one that stood out the most to me, I was at a, a concert, at a, at a show with the sub dudes at the Iridium in Manhattan. And they're friends of mine. I really loved them. And I went to see them, but I was alone. And I was sitting across from a guy. He says, Jackie, the joke, man. Oh, I'm such a big fan. I, you know, I've been a, a producer at NBC forever or ABC, whatever. He goes, that's so great. It's so much fun to listen to you laugh and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, you, you know, I'm, you know, I'm writing a lot of the jokes he's saying. And this guy is a producer on television. I mean, this is a, this is a, this is a show business person. And he said, what do you mean? Because the concept of somebody writing something in real time and getting it to Howard and having it go over, if you don't see it happening and don't know what's happening, it's a tough concept. Once you know, people say, oh, you know, it's very obvious. I, I wound up with a girlfriend who got the e-show before she got the stern. San Francisco got the e-show before they got the radio show. And they'd see the show and she'd see this guy with his head down. And she's like, who is that guy? What's he doing? But she worked with Sharpie pens. And all of a sudden one day she heard when the radio show came on, she heard if you use a Sharpie after about five or 10 minutes, it starts to squeak when the alcohol runs out. And she heard the unmistakable squeak of a Sharpie, which once you hear it, you can't not hear it. She'd hear the squeak of the Sharpie. Pause. Howard say something funny and I would roar and it was, you could almost dance to that. And she caught on and said, that son of a bitch is writing a lot of what he's saying. And then so many people were like, right, you can always tell when Jackie wrote a joke because he laughs. And that is patently untrue. I would write a joke and I would laugh as hard as it was funny. And then I got, <clears throat> so once I started doing that, Fred would sometimes hand me a little note, a little piece of paper. And I'd have to rewrite it. And after after however long, a day, a week, a month, I took got a big stack of paper and put it in front of Fred, gave him a Sharpie and said, here, if you have an idea, write it and write it big. So when you hand it to me, I can hand it to Howard because you write it, hand it to me. I got to rewrite it. By the time I get to him, it's tinkers to ever chance that the moment's lost. And so I was a conduit, not just for me, but for Fred. So now... And that's when the show, I mean, forget about it. I mean, it was, it was Howard's sense of humor and my sense of humor and a little bit of Fred's sense of humor, but three completely different minds. Like Fred was from Pluto and I'm a punchline guy and Howard was a big, wide, you know, assess the world type thing. And you didn't know what, what was coming, whether it's going to be filthy or stupid or fun or a call, you know. And the unpredictability combined with the fact that it was usually pretty funny. But I would roar. I'd come home and, and my wife would say, oh, you know, the best line you wrote today was such and such. And no, I didn't write that. Fred wrote it. But you laughed so hard. Said, yeah, because I laughed at how funny it was. You know, such and such was a great line. Howard said that on his own. But you laughed so hard because it was so funny. You know, if somebody says, at you, Robin goes, <laughs> if somebody says, somebody came in the door, Robin goes, <laughs> Me, I laugh in conjunction with the funniness of what goes on, which is so it, you know, so it's ebb and flow and it really worked, you know. But it, it, so it wasn't a foolproof thing that if I laughed, that meant I wrote it, you know. A lot of times it was. 
And I'd laugh really hard because I thought the stuff was really funny. I wouldn't have written it down if I didn't think it was funny. You know, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I know that was a long winded answer. Uh, it was, it was terrific. I've heard that too. I've heard that you always laugh the hardest at your own jokes. Uh, I also heard that Howard wears glasses because he's got a scan because he got all these notes being passed to him. He wears sunglasses. <clears throat> when we got the e-shell, he would have guests come on. And well, when we, when we went to the e-shell, I went from passing stuff over the thing to where I had a bin with a lipstick camera on it. And I'd write notes and Fred would pass me, you know, and I put it in the bin, you know, like a eight and a half by 10, you know, bin with the camera on it. And Howard would have a, ca- a, a video monitor on either side of him. So if he's talking over here, talking over here, and he could read it and work it in, whatever. And the guests would be to his left. And whenever we had a guest, <clears throat> he would put on a pair of dark glasses. He, he didn't need to do that because when he was working the regular show, he, he's looking at Robin or whatever. <clears throat> it didn't matter. But we had a guest. The guest would be sitting there. So he would put on his dark glasses, which fit his personality because he's, you know, dark and mysterious or whatever. But he had a pair of dark glasses. So if I'm talking to you, and all of a sudden, my eyes are looking over here. Like, if I'm looking at you, you know when I'm not paying attention to you. But if you got on sunglasses, you have no idea that my eyes are darting over here and reading. And that was the whole explanation for that, which was really funny. And if you look, he, he never did an interview without those glasses on, which is funny. You know, he's smart, you know. He, he's a funny guy to be. I, I, even when I disagree with him, I could still sort of enjoy, you know, listening to the show. But one thing I remember, I thought he came they all kind of attacked you pretty hard when you left. You're a performer. You're on the biggest radio show in the world. You're just looking for an increase in pay. Did you think that was a little bit unfair, the way that they sort of framed you? Yeah, you Not know, framed you, like set you up, but like positioned, you know, kind of described. What, what could I do? You know, you know, what are they going to say? Uh, Jackie wanted more money and uh, we we're too cheap to give it. The bottom line is if you, I work for you, what I think I'm worth and what you think I'm worth are not going to be the same. And you might, maybe you want to pay me more and maybe you don't. And if I ask for a certain amount of money and you say no, <clears throat> you're certainly allowed to say no. And I'm certainly allowed to walk away. If you don't want to walk away, you can't even think about negotiating. Now, there was more to it than that, but it was that simple. The bottom line, <clears throat> of course, being that everybody took their own, used their own imagination about how much money it was, blah, 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 and what Jackie's not worth this and he's worth that. But so many people really had. I mean, absolutely no idea what it was. And the truth was, I was making a real lot of money, a staggering amount of money, but not for what we were doing. You know, it's like telling Ringo, you're just a, you're getting paid very well for a drummer. And I'm not a drummer. I'm a drummer in the Beatles, you know, and uh, <clears throat> I really thought I thought I deserved more. I thought we all probably I didn't know what anybody was like. Nobody knew anything. Everybody played the card so close to the table. You know, there was no, what are you doing? How are you doing? There was none. It was divide and conquer. And I just decided I wanted more and I didn't get it. You know, it's, it's that simple. But, you know, years before, I remember <clears throat> I had walked out three or four times because if I hadn't lied on my back and kicked my feet in the air a couple times, I would have never, ever been even in the ballpark of making decent money. I mean, I started out so low. If they say, hey, we doubled your salary. Yeah, all right. So this week I'm making 10 cents. You know, it didn't matter. 
And I remember one time I'd been off for a couple of weeks and this attorney, Dominic Barber, that was a friend of the show, called me up and said, Jackie, you, you got to be on Howard. It's been weeks, man. The show really needs you. He really needs you. Come on. What's going on? What, what's going on? And I told when I told him the figures, this is early 90s. He almost drove off the road. He's, you know, I think I think it was like I was making 200 grand and I wanted 300 grand or something like that. And he said, Jackie, the whole world thinks you're making a million and a half dollars and you're holding out for two. And I'm like, of course they do. Of course they do. That's how it's couched. You know, I I, I wasn't. <clears throat> what I was asking for was probably staggering, but not not in the not in the structure of what was going on. I mean, we were printing money. They were printing money, you know, crazy amounts of money. So who knows, you know, and, uh, and, you know, people, say the worst decision, the best decision, you know, who cares? You know, I was going and, and truth be, I, I, you know, I contacted him and said, listen, the deal's still on the table. You know, I'll take it a couple months later. I was going to, so it's like, you don't realize, <clears throat> forget the money, forget the fame, forget the good table in a restaurant. You actually miss sitting around and breaking balls with a bunch of people four hours a day. You don't really, it does a fish know it's in water. We've been doing it so long. It never dawned on me. I wasn't going to have that in my life anymore. I, you know, I was like, holy Christ. You know, I'm thinking, oh, I'll just find three or four other great people to hang out with and break balls with. And it, it just didn't exist, you know. But, uh, <clears throat> and I, I don't know what they said and what they didn't say. And of course, so many people couldn't wait to tell me they did this or said that and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, who cares? What, you know, it's not like I had any control about it anyway, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, how come you didn't take like a Saturday night live writing job or a, I was, I, in, since the day I left that show, I have had zero offers of any kind and I've never understood it because they've tried everybody doing everything on every show. I don't know whether, uh, being on the show, they poisoned me. So it sounded like, you know, he'd tell everybody, nobody likes Jackie here. Nobody on, nobody at K-Rock likes him. And which was so patently ridiculous because everybody loved when I walk into their office, but he told the world I was cheap. And my friends still can't believe it because I, there was no more generous guy. You know, I would have two, 200 people at my house and feed them lobster and clams and beer and booze. And then on Monday, he'd say how cheap I was because we didn't have enough butter or something like that. And it was just like Trump. They'd be like, oh, yep, he's cheap. You know, so I was cheap and I was angry. And they'd say I was angry. If you tell somebody, if you insult somebody and they say, what was that? All of a sudden you're angry because you've been attacked, you know. But it was, that was his genius. He was brilliant, you know. So he he made me, you know, he, he wouldn't make me crazy, but he knew how to start things up, you know. You know, yeah. Gary and Fred and everybody, you know, but I, I wasn't like people were knocking at my door. You know, you'd think somebody would say, hey, why don't you come join this show or join that show? Yeah, I I don't know if I was ready to, you know, I thought I did not sleep for 15 years. I literally did not sleep for 15 years. So it really had taken its toll. You know, I, I came out of my coma and I said, wow, look at all this money, you know, but it, it was such a it was such a strange great and weird and horrible and i mean there's so many so many crazy crazy things every time i get interviewed or talk to people i'm like oh that reminds me i don't i forgot all about this i forgot all about that you know 
it was it was wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I I've always had this thought, and maybe you can help me with it. So a little backstory to this thought. I used to hang out with some of the Whack Packers. A lot of them, for some reason, were in Philadelphia. Kenneth Keith Callenback played music. I was in his band for a while. So talking to them guys was so much fun. I can only imagine what it's like hanging out with them in the studio and getting to use them as kind of <coughs> props. I mean, was it fun working with them? Or were they more of a pain in the ass? They, they were fine. You know, I actually let Siobhan come to one of my parties. And that moron actually snuck into my house and went and found Howard's home phone number. And like, you know, what's wrong with you, Jackie, in inviting a moron like that to your house? But I'm a nice guy. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm not going to throw somebody out of my house. In retrospect, it was stupid. But what can you do? But I was friends with like Siobhan and I really liked Elena Beastie. I was madly in love with. So I, somehow I kept myself from jumping on her when we did the New Year's Eve pay-per-view. And Debbie Tay, who wound up dead. And Nicole Bass, the female weightlifter. You know, I knew them all, and they 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 were fine. You took them with a grain of salt. I I actually named them. I coined that phrase, the whack pack. Oh, really? Yeah, it really put them in the that that really does perfectly delineate who they are from you know Howard, Gary, Fred, Jackie, John, and then the whack pack. You know, I I, I had a great time with Hank. You know, it was kind of sad because Hank died very soon after I left the show, and I couldn't go to his funeral. Because, it, you know, it would have been too much about me. You know, it would have been like, oh, look, Jackie's here. Look, Jackie's trying to get his name in the paper or, for whatever reason. So I just didn't go. But I had a great time with Hank. He was, you know, he was a certified nut, you know. <laughs> One of the things Ken said to me, and Ken, you know, Ken had that impression on the air of just being a burned out, you know, crazy guy blows smoke out of his eyes. But Towards the end, when he wasn't appearing on the show anymore, he made a statement to me, and, and he's passed away since. But he's he said he said you know they're they're done with me. They don't they don't need me anymore. They tend to the show tends to take people, use them up, and then leave them. And I was like, well, you know, as the years have gone on, I can't say I totally don't see his point. No, you, they what? use them up and then curl up, curl them up like toilet paper and discard them. You know. I do like that they still, you know, refer to you. You, you know, I don't think they're going to ever mention the name Suttering John again, but they'll, they still love you. They still talk about you in, in a positive way, I think. You know, it depends. People, people tell me, you know, oh, they were crapping all over you today, or they, people say, oh, they were talking nice things today. But they, I hear that once in a blue moon, but you never know whether they're here in a rerun. You know, I wound up with a whole line of craziness in my life because once in a blue moon we'd be on such a roll that howard would just give me a plug in the middle of you know he'd say jesus don't forget see jackie at the riviera this weekend you know and it was right in the middle of the show so nobody'd ever chop it out and one day i got a phone call saying hey listen as long as you're gonna be in the riviera this weekend why don't you come by my our booth at the CES show? We're starting this new thing called satellite radio. And I said, I'm not going to be in Las Vegas this weekend. They, that that must have been part of a best of. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Where they where that got mentioned? I said, but if you pay my airfare, I'll come out. So I went out there and <laughs> and met a couple of people I wound up being very good friends with. And it was the beginning of XM Radio, and you know we were at the Hard Rock for a weekend, and it just. It was great. And that was just very, very happenstance, you know, 
And you, it, so many things happen like that. Like, it's really great, you know. Yeah. Well, Jackie, I could ask you a billion questions. You don't have that kind of time. But I want to pass it over to, to Casey. He's got some questions from fans. Eight inches. <laughs> <laughs> while while we're still on the Howard uh, subject, uh, Melissa Davies would like to know: Have you ever spoken to Howard off air, and would you ever return as a guest? I haven't spoken to him since um, I I had a show on Sirius XM on Howard Stern One Hundred and One uh, called Jackie's Joke Hunt, and it lasted eight years, and it was just solid jokes for an hour, and they would replay it four, five, six times a week. And we loved doing it and they chopped our pay and we still kept doing it. And then one day Howard just, just pulled the plug. But in retrospect, people said us because this woman, Marcy Turk came aboard or whatever, but it was very weird because I had seen them in the year before at the Christmas party. And we always, we always got along really well. We were friends I mean, for 18 years, but then they pulled the plug on our show and Sirius XM, we were on Sirius XM on one of the Stern channels and Sirius XM threw a 60th birthday party for Howard. And me and my radio partner had been fired like a week and a half before. and We weren't invited to the party, which was so odd. So many people said, Jackie, can I be your plus one at the party? And they wouldn't believe me when I told them I wasn't invited. And then we weren't invited to the company Christmas party a couple of weeks later after we'd been there for eight years. It's hard to explain. It's a, it's a weird thing. Like if you ask Howard, how are things with Jackie? He'd say, Oh, I got no problem with Jackie. Everything's fine. I'm telling you, if, if it was his 60th birthday party, I mean, he had people that he had met two weeks before like he had Martha Stewart, there, you know, but if somebody at his 60th birthday, birthday party came up and said wow howard it was really great to see jackie again i'm telling you it would have wrecked this night now people tell me i'm crazy but you know how i mean it was it's pretty weird you know do, do i have a problem with him no if i ran into him i have no problem with him with him at all you know um i thought i deserved more money and didn't give it to me you know what what can i do i can't hit him over the head you know has he ever called me up no have we ever spoken no you know a little sad. That's it's disappointing to hear. That. <clears throat> you know, I, you know, I say that in my documentary. I said, you know, Howard, Gary, Fred, and Robin. None of them are in my documentary, and I'm still friends and close friends with everybody I've ever met. I'm talking about since kindergarten and grammar school, and you know, some people, you know, not everybody, but there's so many people you keep in contact with. Cause you're in, they've just been parts of your life. And those guys were part of my life for 18 years. So I'm, I'm not sure what that says. You know, if I had said, no, I don't want them in my documentary, that that, that would be one thing, but you know, they, it, it, once again, it's like Trump, you know, uh, you know, we can't, you know, they don't say that, but you know, no, we're going to pass, you know, but it's more, we can't, you know, so who knows? And, you know, I know I asked Howard, but I'm, I'm sure at some point when the documentary hits, it's going to say, you know, nobody ever asked me, you know, it's like yeah. it's, it's saying to the Jews before they before they kill them. You know, did you ask them not to do it? No, it never dawned on me to ask them not to do it. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. You get out of line. You know, go, go get a sandwich. You know, 
please. I, I, I've heard about this Marcy person who was not a, he never mentions a Marcy person, <laughs> but the Marcy person sounds like, remember when Jay Leno had a, a Marcy person who sort of, and Howard would beat the hell out of Helen Kushnick. Helen. Yeah. But it seems like he's decided that this person's going to help change the, the, the future of the show. And he's now gone in a different direction. Well, I, you know, that's, I, that's how I'm reading it. I don't know. If I, don't, I don't feign uh, ignorance. I just, I just don't know. I think she, there were different people who had different problems. And I, but I mean, I, she had come into some kind of contact with the show at the Christmas party the year that the last year I was there and I had met her and we took some pictures, blah, blah, blah. But I think she had just been introduced to the fold. And then I think she kind of took over. So I really don't know what or where or why her involvement. I don't know. You know, people, Oh, she took over Gary's office and now Gary's below her. And I'm like, you're talking to a wall. I, I don't, you know, I don't care. All right. One more Howard related question. And then we'll, uh, I have two other questions after that, and then we'll do all the plugs and all that. So Johnny M, he would like to know, what are your thoughts on Artie's time on the show? He filled your seat after uh, your departure. Uh, the only thing, I, I've never listened to the show ever. But Artie and me, I knew Artie, and we were pals. He did the intro to my autobiography, and I loved hearing him talk about it because he, he was working in New Jersey in the late 80s. And his father came home and said, holy Christ, I heard this radio show. It's unbelievable. Wait till you hear this guy, Jackie Martling. And he tuned in and became a fan. And him and his guys used to come see me at Rascals. And he was such a good guy. And it was funny because all of a sudden I, I, I did his direct TV show or his podcast. And people were like, oh, it's great to see you guys getting along again. And it's like, you people are nuts. I left the show in March. And they tried like, I think, five or ten different people in my chair. And then Artie didn't join the show until after 9-11. There was no crossover of any kind. Oh, it's good to see you guys getting getting along again. And you get tired trying to explain to people, you, you moron. You know? Right. And I, and I, you know, it's sad. It, it's a happy ending, but it's sad. Because we were doing my documentary and he agreed to be in the documentary. You know, I'd done this podcast a bunch of times, a direct TV show, <clears throat> because we had obviously a, a bond. You know, we ran parallel and we didn't get, they didn't interview Artie. And then all of a sudden he screwed up and he got beat up and he went to jail and then went into rehab. But the documentary <laughs> took so goddamn long. To get done, he came out. He was cleaned up, so we got interviewed. And he's a, he's a big part—not a big part, but he's got a, a healthy part in the documentary. You know, awesome. it's like you know the new Artie with the bad nose, and <laughs> but he's just he, he just is a really really good guy. You know, with you know that makes really bad choices, and we all know people like that. I happen to be one of them. You know. Yep, I'm one of them. So. Uh, all right. So, uh, let's see. Ryan Vu would like to know how different is it today to tell jokes versus years ago? Uh, now that there's a huge focal point on racism, how difficult is it to write jokes now? Uh, I haven't noticed. I've always done all kinds of jokes forever. You know, I did Polish jokes and Jewish jokes and black jokes and Indian jokes and blah, blah, blah. But over time, it became less and less long before this whole PC storm hit. But I was never a guy that 
use the N word for black people or the K word for Jewish people. I even, the one thing is in 1979, when I made my record, I said Polak a lot. It never dawned on me that Polak was insulting. So then that became Polish people, which sounds silly, but it's different. You know, so I guess to them, it's like the difference between the N word and, and saying black. But, you know, a lot of the stuff on my album, you know, talking like that, you know, how you doing? Like that old Amos Andy stuff. I was raised on that. And and I tell people I've changed so little because I'm so far away from trying to be offensive. If anybody sees what I'm doing and they see anything except some moron trying to be make you laugh, you know, so it hasn't. It really hasn't affected me, except I guess I've really trailed off a lot. But that was a, in the natural swing of things. The only time, you know, like I, I would be on stage and I'd see a black couple in my audience and I'd look at them when I was telling black jokes because yeah, and they would roar. Not everybody, but you know, not everybody goes to comedy clubs. You know, there's women that, that there's women that can't handle my jokes because they're sex jokes and and pussy jokes. You know, if you don't want to laugh at that, stay stay home. You know, I did a show in the Midwest and a lady had two incredibly disabled children in wheelchairs. And she came up and said, listen, my kids have heard you so many times and they really love you. Will you do me a favor? Will you make fun of them? They would love that. And I said, lady, listen, I would love nothing better than to berate your two kids that are sitting there in their wheelchairs. And I'm sure they would love it. The only problem is the rest of the audience would think I was a moron and want to hang me because they wouldn't know that it's fine with them. You know, it's all perception. And the one time, the one time that I, I always think of this because it was so against me, you know, because I look at this guy and make fun, look at this guy. I was doing a show on Boca Raton and the whole, the whole midget thing gets me because uh, it's not my call. I was saying this on a podcast the other day, you know, you can't say you can say dwarf because a dwarf is a type of it's a body type, but midget I guess connotates the circus and it's discriminatory. But to me, little person sounds more deriding than than midget. But it's not my call. But I said, you know, it's like saying that's a little person. If there's an overweight person, do you say that's a fat person? You know, like like what the, who was it? Uh, Denzel Washington said. You know, they, we're going to be done with racism and PC when instead of saying the little person or the fat person, you say the person. You know what I mean? But I'm doing my show, and I had like probably three or four or five minutes of boom, 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 very funny little person jokes. And sitting right ringside, there wasn't a midget. There was a midget couple, a little, a little people couple. And I mean, they were teeny, and they were sitting ringside. And their feet were hanging. They didn't reach the floor. And when I got to those jokes, I just leaped over them and didn't do them. Because even though they were in my act every night, I thought that maybe the crowd would think I saw them and went to work on them, especially. And meanwhile, it was so stupid because nobody in the crowd had any idea that there were little people there. But, I, you know, that so that's the hypocrite I am. But um the bottom line is it's I'm pretty much the same, pretty much the same. I mean, I got in trouble in 1979 at Rascals. Yeah, uh, I got you wouldn't believe the hate letter I got. 
there was a group called the I forget the name, but they had a they had a newsletter called the Polish Eagle, and it was mimeographed. You, I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember when they made church bulletins, and they, it was on the purple, the purple ink that smelled like alcohol. I mean, they mimeographed the flyer, and it was like we were gonna sh- we're gonna shut this guy down. He was so disparaging of us of us Polish people. We shut down Joan Rivers, and now we're going to go get this guy. He does blah, 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 blah. And I called up one of them and said, have you ever seen me? No. I said, come to Rascals, to one of my shows. Bring a couple of your friends and just come to a show. And they came to the show. And after the show, they came up and said, you're the funniest guy in the world. You picked on the Polish people. You picked on the black people. You picked on the Jews. You picked on yourself. You picked on girls. It was, you know, I said, yes, equal opportunity, stupidity. And meanwhile, somebody had heard that I told the joke about the Pope when the Pope was Polish and something about there was crap in the in his, you know, what's what's a hat full of crap? And that, you know, the, the Pope, you know, something like that. And it was a joke I'd never been near or wouldn't it wasn't even funny. <clears throat> but that was that was 40 years ago. You know, and that's the last I, you know, they they issued an apology now this guy's fine go see him blah 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 so who knows you know there's probably a lot of jews walking around pissed off at me but hey i don't care people get way too offended nowadays we were just talking about that with tommy chong uh last week about uh the the old roasts the (laughs) dean martin roasts with rickles and all those guys you know it's so different now you know, it's so funny. I finally got to know Don Rickles at the very end. I had, I had a, we had a mutual friend, and I went to see him down at the Brigada, like, you know, two months or three months before he died. And he still was to say, oh, you Nazi bastard, and blah, 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 blah. You know, like, but, but so what? You know, it was, it's, at some point it becomes, I'm a cartoon. I'm 73 years old. I'm not a 22-year-old guy saying, hate black people, hate Jews. I'm a cartoon making jokes, you know, and and if you can't see that, you know, right? I, I don't know. You know, I think we- everybody's entitled to their opinion. And I, you know, I'll, I'll tell you one thing: I am so out of touch with the world. I went back to a doctor that I, I hadn't seen in a year, and you know, they hand the thing like, uh, "Have you been sick lately?" You know, with the COVID. You know, have you been around people with COVID? But there were three or four more pages. What do you want to be identified as? What's your pronoun? Are you this, that? But I'm telling you, this thing went to places I have never heard of. I almost wanted to say, do you have another copy of this? Because I got to take it home and read it. It wasn't like, do you want to be he or she or we or they? Which I, I still can't wrap my head around that crap. You know, I'm still watching the show Billions trying to figure out who she's talking about. And she's saying we and oh, she means her. Like, you moron, you know. Uh, you know, you know, like go hide is almost like a square circle. I mean, there's a little square in campus where you go stand there and nobody can come in that little square and insult you. Like, get, get, you know, there's a whole world out there you're going to have to deal with, you morons. Like, you know, oh, oh. You yeah, know I, yeah. I say to my girlfriend, I said, how much worse can this crap get? And then it does. You know, it's, it's crazier. And, you, you know, you. You know, you go to tie your shoe and you go, you realize there's people that can't tie their own shoes. That's so offensive. You know, like, <laughs> it's, it, To me, it seems like people forget the intent. You you don't mean harm. <clears throat> you, you mean humor. I like the way that you said that. Right. That, that's the only thing I'm doing up there. I'm not trying to make anybody smarter or stupider 
or reflect on it. Just I want you to laugh as hard as you can. That's why I tell dirty jokes because people in her, they just laugh harder at dirty jokes. You find I've been a joke teller since I was in second grade. And you learn very quickly that when you're at a bar telling a joke, a dirty joke, that's a bigger laugh. And the response I want from somebody when I tell them the joke, I want it to be the same response as if, as if I punched them in the stomach. That's the ultimate, ah! you know, and that's, and that's just, that's me. That's not anybody else. That's my, my hell, but that's my story and I'm sticking to it. All right. One final question. Rocco Stramaglia. He would like to know what. Spell that. Spell that. <laughs> He could barely read it. Jesus. I've known Rocco for a long time. I know how to say his name. Stra Maglia. Okay. I, I don't know if I could spell it for you, but he would like to know what is your favorite joke? Uh, my favorite joke is the last one I told that got a big laugh. You know, so funny. I, I always talked about how I wanted to get together and tell jokes with Paul McCartney and Howard would always make fun of me. No, he, he would hate you. He would think you were a jerk. I'm like, you don't understand. It's like jet fans, hockey fans, people that play chess with birds of a feather. McCartney loves jokes and he loves to tell jokes. And I joke tellers love me. I exchange emails on a weekly basis with Willie Nelson for the last 20 years. We make each other laugh. It's that simple. And I know that McCartney, if, if me and him were together for 10 minutes, the next time he came to town, he'd say, you know, why don't we have dinner with Jackie? And I, that sounds like crap, but I am telling you, I know my, my craft. So I have always said I would love to do that. So we're at a party for The Big Short, which was a great film. And it was produced by Lorne Michaels and Tina Fey. So the entire New York Hoy Polloi was there. It was at the, at the Met, and we're downstairs at a cocktail party. And I'm not even sure why we were there, because everybody was somebody you knew or looked like somebody that you should know. And my girlfriend, this, you know, had already been with me a, a bunch of years, and she knew that I, my whole McCartney rap. So McCartney comes downstairs with his new wife. And my girlfriend's like, there's Paul McCartney. You could tell him some jokes. And I said, Barbara, I am not going to bother Paul McCartney. The reason him and his wife can come out in New York City to an event like this is because nobody's going to bother him. It's like Woody Allen walking down the streets in New York. He can do that. There is not a person in this room that would love to tell Paul McCartney where they were and what they were doing in 1964. And trust me, he don't care. So no, but thanks for thinking that. I go through this whole thing, right? And McCartney and his wife, Nancy, come around. We're in the back against the wall. They come around the perimeter of the room and walked right in front of me. And his wife goes past me, and she's a few steps ahead of him. And I'm telling you, he was eight inches from my nose. And without even thinking, I just put my hand on his lapel and stopped him. And he turned to me and I it wasn't, wasn't premeditated. I didn't have anything loaded into my chamber. I stopped him and he turned and I said, can I tell you a joke? And he said, sure. And I told him a joke and he roared and threw his head back. And when he walked away, I said to Barbara, he's going to go tell that to five different people. So it cements itself in his head. 
from doing this all these years, I know when somebody's laughing, but they've heard a joke before. And I also know when somebody's laughing and they haven't heard a joke before, especially a joke teller. Now he's got a new one. And that was the laugh I got out of him. The joke I told him, this is the greatest joke in the world. A guy goes for a job interview and the interviewer says, what do you think is your biggest fault? And the guy says, I think my biggest fault is my honesty. And the interviewer says, I don't think honesty is a fault. And the guy says, I don't give a fuck what you think. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just so funny. But I was not prepared. That's just, that's in my book. You know, it was great. But the, the greatest, I, I heard a joke the other day. And this is the one I stop and t I just tell people, you know, like Colombo. One last thing before I go. An old guy sitting at the, I love this show. Old guy sitting at the bar. And the bartender says, how old are you? And he says, I'm 97. 97. What's your secret? One time I blew a guy for his watch. No, I mean the secret <laughs> to your longevity. He said, oh, I eat fruits and vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is so funny. Oh. <laughs> it's just priceless. Just priceless, man. I love it. That's great. Now, listen, uh, I want to tell your listeners, I have a guy who answers all my email, me, and I answer my own email, and I don't care how many I get. I love to answer them, and people ask questions, or they say, go to hell, or you're an idiot, or whatever, but I love all the emails. My email address, I'm still on AOL, is jokeland at AOL.com, J-O-K-E-L-A-N-D at AOL.com. <clears throat> I answer any and all emails uh, i also am on cameo.com which i've been doing so many of and they're really fun you know it's so funny i haven't been able to do my show in a year and a half and if you're a comic after a couple of weeks of not doing a show you're like you're you're starting to twitch and it's been so long i don't even know what's going to happen if i ever get up on the stage i got a show in a couple of weeks i'm like i don't know what i'm going to do <clears throat> but they came out with this cameo.com which is so perfect for me. I should be doing them for free because if you sign up for one and you say, uh, please say happy birthday to my mother-in-law. She loves jokes about old Jews and she really likes poop. And she's got a daughter who's a whatever the people tell me, I can go right down the checklist and give them a joke on almost everything they say within two or three minutes and then say happy birthday or happy divorce. Or, you know, I get the craziest things, <clears throat> but it's like, it's like methadone to me. I tell a few jokes and I laugh and I tell a few jokes and I laugh. And it's like, you know, it's like going down to the deli. If I make the guy behind the deli counter laugh, I'm good for a couple hours. I, I know it sounds melodramatic, but I'm not kidding. One day, the, a couple of weeks ago, a guy said, I need you to do jokes so they can play them at my funeral. He got a cameo.com and he's only 40. He said, I'm not going to die for 50 years. But when I die, I want them to have Jackie jokes to play on my casket, which I just thought is so crazy and such fun, you know, but anybody wants one, it's cameo.com slash Jackie Martling, one word. And I got like 120 five-star reviews because it was made for me. It was, you know, call up my friend Ernie and tell him a happy 40th birthday. You're way too fat and your girlfriend's a pig. And I just go, I just go to town, you know, I forget what you awesome, asked me. Jackie. We Listen, you, you guys, too, please email me. 
both of you guys so I can put you on the list and let me send you some fun stuff. And uh, now where, where am I talking to Philly? Uh, we're, we're outside of Philly. Outside we're in Philly, Reading. Yeah. Bill's in uh, where Exeter. I'm in uh, outside of Reading. Well, I'm doing a show in uh, on Saturday, uh, June 26th in Manasquan, which is South Jersey. But I'm also doing a some kind of TV show in Patterson. Is that anywhere near you guys? Patterson, New Patterson, Jersey. Patterson, New Jersey. I, I don't I know where that's anything right is across the border. I love Philly. I always have fun there. And um, what about New Hope? Is that near you guys? New Hope. Yeah, that's a great little town. That's yeah, that's awesome not that, that's not till like October. All right. But uh, every all and all my gigs. Anybody that's interested, jokeland.com. And I. I you don't got to search. I put all the gigs right on the front page. You know, I should have a lot more stuff on on the internet on my joke on my jokeland.com, but I just don't. You know, some old shows from Gotham with Artie and Gilbert and stuff like that. But uh, you know, I and I tweet jokes. That's one more thing. I tweet jokes every day at 4:20 p.m. International Marijuana Time. One bad joke every day. But people eat it up. I've been doing it for like 12 years. It's so fun. You know, Jackie, you're an idiot. Jackie, you're an idiot. I'm like, well, keep it. <laughs> Actually, I just I just went on your Twitter today. Uh, congratulations. 20 years sober from uh, booze, right? That's, uh, uh, yes, May 5th. It was uh, yeah. Sanco Cinco de Mayo 20 years ago. You know, <clears throat> 20 years ago, if somebody told me that I wasn't going to drink for 20 days, I would have left. For, for 20 days, you know, and all of a sudden I just, you know what, I'm pulling the plug here. You know, I was off the show. Uh, me and Nancy were going to get divorced and <clears throat> I didn't have a gig and I wasn't going to spend the rest of my life waiting for it to be five o'clock. I said, the only way to do it is to have it never be five o'clock. So for 20 years, I've been growing pot, smoking pot, taking pot to Europe with me. I went to the Cannes Film Festival in Toronto and Sundance and you wouldn't believe that's going to be my next book is the the people that have smoked my pot would just staggering, you know, just well, staggering people, you know. You know, that's a, a huge thing right now. A lot of uh, comics, Tommy Chong, this other podcast that I listened <clears> to, the last podcast on the left, they're all getting their uh, their own brands of uh, marijuana. Yeah, you know, so, there was one guy that wanted me to do it, but it, it, it was CBD because he couldn't it couldn't go across state lines. And uh-huh. There's so many people doing. It. I'm friends with Will, uh, Willie as Willie Nelson's Reserve. And, yeah, I've I've had you know, that. We interviewed him for my podcast, and after we interviewed him, like we smoked some of his pot. And like motherfucker, man, <laughs> he's so he's so great. My podcast, I mean, my uh, documentary has Willie Nelson, Penn Jillette, Mark Cuban, Artie Lang, Stuttering John, Billy West. The whole guy. It's it's just it's just a hoot. You know, and it's and it's ridiculous. You know, the, you know. When does that come out? When when can we find that? We're hoping. You know, we actually could sell it tomorrow to one of the cable things. But I want to, I want to do just like this. We sh- imagine we showed the documentary, and then I stood up and answered questions like you're asking me because so many people have so many questions, and I really think the answers are interesting. And it always goes to places where people have never been. And I think filming those Q and A's is going to be a whole nother thing, but that's in my little head. So I want to wait and you can't put the documentary anywhere because if you show it anywhere, you can't put it. I'm not saying we're going to get into a major film festival, but if we show it anywhere, that assures that we can't get into anywhere. It's got to be, 
It's got to be virgin. You know, I don't know. I don't know the rules. You know, I just try to abide by them when I can get away with it. You know. Sure. Well, if you're ever uh, when when that New Hope, do you say you have a show in New Hope? <clears throat> yeah, it's it's in October at uh, it's new, but the, all, all the shows are on jokeland.com. And like I said, folks, send me an email, jokeland at AOL.com. Now, is this, are you guys taping this or is this going out live? Or how's yeah, it no, work? this is all, all recorded. We do a little editing and then uh, we'll put it out probably Friday. Now, are you guys like a comedy team or old friends or what are you guys? Just old friends. Yeah, he's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I, I would love to try your pot. So next time, uh, whenever you can, uh, whenever we're in the area, I travel a lot for work. So, <clears throat> well, I'm, I'm, you got my email address and you got my uh, cell phone or you should, and, uh, you know, email me your cell phone. I'll put it in my thing. And then, you know, I'm on, I'm on the North shore of Long Island and I'm very findable and I'm very shareable with my weed. Very good. I I get to, uh, I, if there's a home Depot near you, I get, I will be there. (laughs) There, In fact, I'm going to home Depot after I hang up with you guys, we're going to get some, some dirt. Which I'll there never to me buying dirt is the same thing as buying water. Like what kind of idiot has to buy water, you know? But <laughs> but what can you do? You know, that's what you do. Jackie, this has been awesome, man. We don't want to take up too much more of your time. What am I gonna do? <laughs> Go to Home time. Depot. <laughs> you know what you do if you get uh if you get fifty questions from people after this, assemble the questions and call me and we'll do this again. Awesome. I I, we- I never get sick of talking about this crap. I really don't. Awesome. We'll we'll definitely be talking to you again. Maybe hopefully we can do a, an in-person one in the future. Come to Jokeland. Awesome. This is the, look at this place. It's uh it's really a uh, it's a study in uh, a wasted life. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going. I will see you guys later. Thank you very much. Thank you, Thank Jackie. You, Jack. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. They call it marijuana, and before this song is done, we'll explain to all you people how this outlaw causes fun. See, pot don't make you older, and pot don't make you fat. It just makes you feel real friendly, and you know that's where it's at.